Hello and welcome to another episode of Bear Books Podcast. I'm April Berry. I'm Daisy Ray. How have you been, Daisy? Um, on a emotional roller coaster and the learnest, the learnest and the steepest learning curve known to womankind, to be honest. You are going to tell us all about that later on, aren't you, in the podcast? Because it does relate to the podcast. It does. We have some fantastic news for you, so make sure you don't go anywhere till you've heard what that is. So I guess we've only got a couple of stories this week. What happened to your, um, I'm going to write a story? Uh, never mind, only got two stories. We've got two magnificent stories. I am busy in the background formatting and designing and putting together and editing our fantastic Shh. news for later. I won't say, I won't say, I won't say. <laughs> I have been busy in the background, all for beer books. I'll let you off then. So we're going to start off with the Caroline's story. Oh, yes. This is such a good story. We'll have a bit of a chat at after you've listened to it, but it is meaty. So put your feet up, relax and listen. They are strong, heavy words, but make no noise as they land on the page. Death, blast, landmine. Just thin ink on pristine paper. A letter that would deliver such grief. I crossed out the words, I am sorry. I wasn't sorry at all. My pen poised as I dredged my mind of what to write to his family. Do I put, it is with regret? Well, it did damage a bloody good camera, but hey-ho. Well, back to writing the death lines. I am tempted to write the whole gory scene, but writing isn't my job like reporter Adam Bloody Armitage. He would hide behind the armoured truck while I went into the battle zone to set up camera. He would tell me which was his best side, wait until the light was flattering, tell me when to roll. Wait until I comb my hair before you film. And there he would pose dramatically flinching at the cracks of live rounds in the distance, ending with his name like it was all him. No mention of camera woman, oh no, it was all him. This day, I'd put my backup camera on the mudguard of the armoured truck before setting up my main camera on the tripod. I walked over to a low-busted mud wall, posed and took a frame using my remote switch. Then I stepped beyond the wall to see if it would make a better frame. That's when I saw it, just showing its killing edge through the dirt. The wind was blowing towards us, carrying a whiff of sulphur, and I watched the crumbs of earth blow over the landmine. It was just two metres beyond the wall. I clicked the camera remote and went back. Armitage appeared. What's the light like? he asked, not looking at me. Are there any bullets flying? Light's good. Take a look at these positioning shots. He squinted at them and said, It looks better past the wall. If you see smoke behind me, try and get it in shot, but mainly focus on me. Shouldn't you have your helmet and flak on? It doesn't suit me. Get me from the waist up and some background, so people can tell I'm in a war zone, see the danger I put myself in to bring them the news. A soldier called over from the truck. We're moving out east in 30 minutes if you want to follow us to the big fireworks. Armitage wafted him away, saying, I'm fine sitting it out with the sparklers. Well, be careful. This is unchecked territory. Stick to the road we came in on. 
Armitage checked his face and hair in the wing mirror of the truck, then headed towards the battle-buggered wall. He was only four metres away from me, and I can remember feeling nervous. He turned and faced me, but shuffled backwards. I shouted, Wait! He stopped, and I went to get my backup camera, and I hurried the fifty metres to the truck. I grabbed a camera just as a deafening blast made me fall to the ground. The soldier ran from the truck, followed by two others. It was silent, almost slow motion. My camera and tripod were lying on the ground, and I went to recover it. The three soldiers were stood by the broken wall, shaking their heads at the bloody lump that was Armitage. One saw me and waved his arms for me to go. I could see what was left of Armitage and realised it could have been me. I also realised it needn't have happened. Then again, what was this war all about? Why am I here? All these miles from home, it's not my bloody war. I had documented in pictures some horrific things. Bodies abandoned in bullet-riddled rooms pretending to be homes. Decaying humans lining the roads. I have become a different person. I'm indifferent to death. We're not observing fireworks and sparklers. We're in the killing fields, the cities of death. You can smell it. Holding your nose and closing your eyes doesn't make it go away. It's around every corner here, and I've gotten used to it. My veins are like earth wire, zip wiring feeling straight out of me, bypassing brain and heart. There are other reporters who will want to hire me, and now I've built up this immunity of shock and horror, I'll carry on being invisible camera woman. I am searching for despair, for that shot to capture desperate human life, to freeze frame their hopelessness, a photograph to grab the attention of the faraway news bystander, to try to fill their nostrils with the stench, their eyes with the carnage and their minds with a fog of fear. For them to be glad to be miles away from the killing fields farmed by soldiers. I realise why I came here. It wasn't for the paycheck. I could earn more at home getting that shot of a tanked up celebrity stumbling out of a nightclub. It is weird what sells newspapers. I had come to show the plight of ordinary people, the ones without a voice, who are being starved and slaughtered and think they are the forgotten ones. I am here to make sure they're not, and in order to do that, I had to develop rhino skin. Two years ago, on my first trip, I couldn't see for tears for a month, and if I hadn't toughened up, I wouldn't be able to keep the hope alive for them. I thought that was a fabulous story that Caroline's written there. And one of the reasons why I like it so much is because there's a lot of realism in there. So it rings true of a lot of conflicts that have gone on across the world over the last 20 years and what happens, etc. And I guess nobody does ever think about the cameraman. I don't suppose they do. They're in at least as much danger, if not more so because nobody is really keeping an eye on the cameraman or camerawoman. Everybody's eyes are on the presenter at all times. So, yeah, they are a bit of a forgotten entity, I guess. I do love Caroline's style of writing, though, because I think she's got... I love the realism that she puts into, into her work. I want to use the words down-to-earth, but that's doing it, I think, a bit of a disservice. But she takes a subject and 
every time she writes a story for us, I can imagine myself in that story. She is quite good at that, yes. It is relatable. Or I feel she captures the way people think or would react or would behave if they were in that situation. I think this particular one, it's candid. I mean, this camera woman, you know, she is royally pissed off with her man in front of the camera, Armitage. Take my best side. Where do I look best? I don't need the flak jacket. I don't look nice in it. It's so vain and everybody should be looking at me. But, you know, he practically just kills himself on purpose because he's just not listening to anybody. Yeah. All he cares about is what do I look like? Yeah. I I can't emphasise enough the, the sort of normalness that she turns into a fantastic story. It is fantastic. It's heartbreaking. It's universal. It is blood, death and tears. It's, it's everything that everybody lives through on a daily basis, whether they take any notice of it or not on the news. This is people's lives. Yeah, people are left by the wayside. People are devastated. People are invisible if they're not major players. Yeah. And I think it's brilliant that they're the people she's brought to the front of her story. Yeah, me too. Bit of a hard act for me to follow now, really, isn't it? Well, you're a completely different slant of sparklers. So let's have a listen to your story and see what we think. Ben's head jerked up and his eyes darted all around the cellar. He was alert to every sound, his nerves jangling, sweat was pouring from him. It did not really suit him a life of crime, and Ben vowed that the last job was definitely that, the last. He had to hide the money somewhere though, until the proverbial dust died down, but his wife knew all his hiding places, and having broken the promises he made to her to go straight, if she discovered the money, inevitably divorce would follow. Ben couldn't even justify to himself why he'd agreed to the robbery, but it had given him the biggest payday of his life. Ben's eyes rested on the gigantic box nestled away on the shelf and immediately knew where he could hide the money. He had already rung in sick at work. In his present state, he really wasn't fit to do anything. Looking at his watch, he had over eight hours to complete the task. Metaphorically patting himself on the back, he started to hide the money, all 100 grand of his share from the heist. Finally, just before 4pm, Ben had finished his task, went upstairs, just in time to greet Gail, his wife, as she returned home from work. Why are you home? she asked. Then looking at him said, never mind, you look dreadful. Across town, Mike was trawling the internet looking for a local firework display to take his girlfriend and her two small children to. He was looking forward to what was a bright future, having had met Andrea about six months ago, Mike knew she was the one. He adored the kids and was thinking of asking her to marry him. Maybe if the bonfire and firework display were magical enough, he would do it there. The doorbell rang. Mike jumped up to answer it. It was Gail, his sister. Following him into the living room, she saw the details of the local firework display glaring back at her. That's the reason I've come round, she said. I'm thinking of having a firework party this year. A chance to get all the family together and a chance to get to know Andrea better. Ben is on a late that day, so I would need help, though, with setting it up. Mike ummed and awed, as he had plans of his own, but as Andrea came out of the kitchen, overhearing the invite, she said, Oh, Gail, that'll be lovely. 
I'm happy to help and I'm sure Mike will be too. Brilliant, said Gail. I've bought a large box of fireworks. The only thing I've not bought are sparklers. Not a problem. We can bring those and some bonfire toffee. The kids will love it. Mike was disappointed. It wasn't what he had planned, but I suppose proposing will wait a while. After all, he thought, I'm here for the long haul. A few more weeks won't make any difference. The morning of the 5th of November was bright, dry and sunny. Mike made his way over to his sisters to help build the bonfire, glad to have some quality time with her, a rarity these days, though Mike knew it was his own fault as he tried to avoid Ben, who he thought was a waste of space. The bonfire built, Mike drove back home waiting for Andrea to arrive back from picking the children up from school. Just before 6pm they set off to girls for the bonfire, which was already lit when they arrived, sending flames into the air, sparks from the wood flying onto the lawn and giving off a wonderful heat to combat what was a chilly evening. Gail had wrapped potatoes in foil and was gently placing them around the base of the fire. Mike could smell the aroma of mushy peas laced with mint wafting from the kitchen. At the bottom of the garden, Gail had cordoned off a section for fireworks where earlier Mike and Gail had strategically placed them, hopefully to give a magnificent display. They were ready for Mike to light. Mike's taper glowed bright red in the darkness, the light from the bonfire giving him sufficient light to see the touch paper. Firework after firework lit. They made a weak puffing noise, sprayed out a disappointing amount of glitter in the air and dying pathetically. Gail was beside herself. Crying, she apologised profusely to her brother and his girlfriend. She had so wanted this to be a marvellous display. She had paid a fortune and all she had got were damp squibs. Mike consoled his sister, telling her not to be upset. The sparklers, though, were a tremendous hit with everybody. Ben arrived home from his late shift, sauntering into the garden with a large box under his arm. He saw Mike throwing all the spent fireworks onto the bonfire. As the penny dropped what had happened, Ben, throwing the box of fireworks on the grass he had bought to replace the box in the cellar, broke into a sprint that nearly ended with him joining the fireworks on the bonfire. Staring into the flames, he could just make out the silhouette of Turner's portrait burning brightly on the £20 notes he had spent hours hiding in those fireworks. Completely different the way you've approached sparklers to the way Carolyn did. Completely different. And I have to say, can I just talk about Ben for a minute? I mean, as idiots go... Well, yes, I must. (laughs) As idiots go, who in their right mind is going to hide money in something designed to ignite? What on earth made you think of that? I don't know. I've got no idea where that actually came from. I did actually do a bit of research on fireworks and what they constituted. And I thought, hmm, is that really something that I ought to be searching on the internet? (laughs) I'm speechless. Absolutely speechless. And what is Gail thinking? She could have done so much better. Her bar was set so low. Yeah. I I mean, initially I was going to put in an explanation of of how we hid the money in the fireworks. But then I thought, no... That's not right. So the story was rewritten a couple of times, actually. So whilst he's saying I'm lastminute.com, I get that. And, and you know, I always rock up with something where the ink's not yet dry on it. But I did rewrite this a few times because it wasn't right. So yeah. that's the reason why I was possibly a bit lastminute.com. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I just It just came to me in a flash of inspiration. Well, as far as Ben's concerned, it's not got the brains he was born with. 
And I like that Mike and Andrea weren't just there to make Gail and Ben's story arc work. They had an arc of their own. So I like that you've put that separate arc in there. It gives the story much more meaning and it makes it more believable. Mm. Yeah, poor Mike. He'd have been better off just taking it to a firework display. Oh, without doubt. And don't you think that, well, you probably do, that Mike is such a good judge of character? Because <laughs> yeah. it doesn't like Ben. I tried to make Mike a, a nice guy. He does seem to be a nice guy. I mean, he's put his plans aside to help his sister out. He puts up with Ben, even though Ben is a complete arse, let's face it. Yeah, he is. I thought it was about time I had a nice guy in one of my stories. I think I like people's minds. I think people sell, don't they? People like to know what other people are doing. Yeah, I do like to know what goes off in in people's minds. And that's not really something on a day-to-day thing that you can ask anybody. You say, oh, what's going on in your head? (laughs) <laughs> so I think that this flash fiction has been has given me a chance to sort of delve into lots of different types of scenarios of people's makeup. Definitely. Mm. Thank you very much for that one. It kind of makes up for the fact that I haven't written one. So it's a good job that we've got an absolutely sterling one from Carolyn and a very funny one from you. Thank you very much. So at the start of uh, the, today's episode, we said we've got some really exciting news for you. And I'm going to hand you over now to Daisy so that she can explain and reveal all. Explain? I'm so excited. It's unbelievable. I feel like we've had a child. (laughs) Well, maybe not quite that extreme. (laughs) But today is book release day. We have been telling you for months about the Bear Books flash fiction anthology that was coming out today. Today, just in case you weren't aware. So pop along to Amazon and have a look. We are going to donate all profits from this book to charity. Our charity of choice is Book Trust UK, Getting Children Reading. So as much as we can earn and everyone that buys this book, thank you so very much. We can help them continue doing the fantastic work that they already do. Um, But also what we'd like to do, April and I, is thank all of the authors that have contributed to the book because Without you, we wouldn't have an anthology of flash fiction stories. So thank you massively to Carolyn Ward-Daniels, to Dean Wrigley, to Jane Love, to Jerry O'Keefe, to TJ Spencer and and to Elaine Morris, who would rather be knitting. I have got to say as well, if you do buy the book, the stories that we've read out for you today, they are included in that anthology. They are, yes. And I'll tell you something. They have been magnificent, those two stories we've listened to today. Even yours, MissLastMinute.com. <laughs> it's funny that you know, you know that, don't you? I write it last, ev- every single time it's written, just before we start to record the podcast. It, I work better under pressure. I'll say, every time we talk about when we're going to be recording, it's like, when has this episode got to be out for? Because she's trying to squeeze another few minutes out to write some more words in this story she hadn't done previously. We'd also like to thank all of you for staying with us and for listening to us. We think you are magnificent and thank you. But that's not the last of us. We're not going away, though. We are still going to continue to bring you our own inimitable book reviews in our own inimitable style and also more flash fiction. Absolutely. In fact, the next episode, we are bringing you a book review from indie author Melina McKay, and the book is called The Head Mistress, and it is a lesbian fiction, which we haven't done a lot of, 
mainly because sometimes we feel it's a little bit wishy-washy, this particular genre. I do like the way you're so polite. I am a very polite person. You are wishy-washy. I could be really candid. Be candid. Well, I've not read an awful lot of lesbian fiction because I don't rate it, to be honest. What I have read's been drivel and... What I've not read, I haven't read it because I thought it might be drivel. So I might be doing somebody a disservice. Anyway, we shall wait and see for the next episode to see what you think of The Headmistress. Thank you very much. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Stay safe. Thank you for joining us. Now you've had a listen, why not pop over and join us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Or if you want to send in your stories, email us at submissions at bearbooks.co.uk.